Woo! Welcome to the Summer Call Play Podcast. We are so happy to be with you today. Happy Tuesday. It's Tuesday. And I'm over here feeling quite sore on this Tuesday. I'd actually call it like deliciously sore. <laughs> deliciously sore. Okay, so why is that? Because I saw you do a bunch of really cool things yesterday. Um, you did a really big long run. You did strength work for the first time in quite a while. You did a hike with Leo. What is it that's, that's making you quite sore? Well, I've decided actually that I've been sore after almost every holiday recently, which is kind of <laughs> fun. It's like this like post-holiday soreness, but we have this theory that on holidays we spend as much time as possible outside. Yeah. But then I usually have this like holiday doms hangover for a few days and it's it's great. Yeah. One good thing about doing a lot of the work on the computer is that basically every moment is recovery time. <laughs> like when we were traveling for canyons and then for your PhD and for the wedding and stuff, I was on my feet a lot more and I'm like, man, standing around is way harder than sitting on the couch cushion all day long. Um, so yesterday you did a lot of really impressive things as I was saying, but what I think might be making you the most sore is the hike we did with baby Leo. So we get out of the car and you immediately run out, grab the little baby hiking backpack and you're like, this is mine because I want the strength gains from carrying this kettlebell. Well, we're having this endless battle in our relationship over who gets to carry Leo in our hiking backpack yeah. because there are quad gains associated with it. And it's like, I don't know, we're debating. And I'm, I've been kind of coming out as the winner on these debates. I'm like, he's mine. Yeah. I birthed him. I get to carry <laughs> him now. I've literally never carried him once. You're um, just forestalling me from getting these gains, Megan. What is up with that? I feel like our marriage vows should have said that we give the gains to the other person. Instead, you're hogging all the gains. I uh, know I'm taking all the gains and I'm coming up with this like secret ploys as to how I can get more of them Yeah. because I'm about to go grocery shopping later today. And I'm like, you know, I should really just walk around with that backpack <laughs> in the grocery store. Leo can hang out back there, like yeah. checking out the pastas. So I have a mission to just bring that backpack with me wherever. So these quad gains can stack up. I, I like it. It reminds me a lot of the places that have HOV lanes where you can go in these lanes if you have two or more people in your car. And what I remember reading when I was a kid is that people would put crash test dummies in the passenger seat <laughs> so they could ride with them. Similarly, since I don't have a baby I can walk with because you won't let me take him, I need to put like a baby-shaped thing in a backpack so I can also match up your quad strength. That would be really fun. We should just get you a backpack with like a bunch of watermelons. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, but does it need to be baby-shaped or will people just be like, yeah, he, that dude is carrying a watermelon. I mean, Leo's kind of oddly shaped. His That's head true. is pretty disproportionate. His head is in like the 80th percentile and his body weight is like in the fifth. Yeah. So uh, his head is, I mean, I feel like if we just put a watermelon and then like some sticks, it would have approximately Leo. Yeah. He's a short, big headed king. <laughs> His head is so large. So maybe that's, you know, the key there is that you birth a baby with such a large head and it gives you extra quad uh, strength gains and pelvic floor confidence. That's that's exactly where we're going. But I actually think the soreness was because I did all of 12 minutes of strength training, which <laughs> is a lot for me at these days. I'm like building back. I'm actually excited to dive into strength training. But you're being careful with autoimmune. You don't want to cause like some sort of runaway inflammation process. Um, so it was very cool to see you do it yesterday because you absolutely rocked it. Um, it was, very, you know, I don't know. It was even more impressive than carrying Leo's head. Oh, thank you. Well, I actually felt pretty good doing it. I hadn't done strength work in actually an embarrassing amount of time. I yeah. was finishing up my PhD. Things got busy. I got put on the back burner. Our listeners understand. Yeah, but I think like 12 minutes of strength work is actually pretty generous because I was I was in the kitchen doing like reverse lunges, rear lunges, and I would just come over and hang out and sit with Leo for a bit. <laughs> so I think it actually probably amounted to like four minutes of strength training. Yeah, so you're doing an adaptation of our upcoming ultra legs routine. We have teased this for literally four months now, but it's finally getting ready 
ready to be filmed um, and you'd crushed it. But I did notice that you would do one exercise and then immediately just go sit down. And I'm like, <laughs> okay, I respect it. I respect the game, even if I don't necessarily understand the physiological purpose of it. So you did a really good job of drawing out 30 seconds of strength work into about 12 minutes. Yeah, it's totally opposite my mindset with workouts. Like when yeah. I do workouts, like between intervals and things like that, I'm just this energizer bunny. I'm like, let's go. It's time. Yeah. I can't stop moving my body. When I do strength work, I'm like, you know, I'm going to Netflix and chill between these <laughs> intervals. Like it's going to be real chill. So I don't know. I don't know why that is. It is shocking how easy it is to let strength work just kind of go by the wayside or peter out or anything like that. Even me as like the ultimate strength guy, if I don't finish it right after runs, I'm just not going to do it. If I save it for the afternoon, it's not going to happen. Anyone that is able to put off their strength work till later in the day, I'm like, you are the ultimate motivation superstar. Those need to be our CEOs of the world. Yeah. Those people are like, they're good at setting boundaries, at showing up. I'm, I'm very impressed. But my justification has been Leo is like a great form of strength work, yeah. whether it's carrying him in the backpack or I just do all these like fun arm motions with Leo. Yeah. I'm like that parent that tries to throw him in the air, except I'm too paranoid to actually release him into the <laughs> air or like do all kinds of crazy motions with him. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder if that's something that happens at a certain point in parenting where you're comfortable throwing your child. Maybe the fourth child. <laughs> yeah, maybe the fourth <laughs> yeah, child. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Maybe when your bloodline is secure. Yeah, you're exactly. Okay them. Because like I was in Target the other day and someone was basically treating their baby like one of those medicine ball workouts that you see <laughs> where someone like bounces it against the ground and then throws it up against the wall. And they're just doing this in the middle of Target. And I'm like, okay, I'm not quite there yet. Uh, his head seems a little bit too soft for that, even though it is quite large. So I don't know when that's going to happen. Maybe when it gets a little bit older. I'm also baffled by the people that like carry their kids on their shoulders. Yeah. That would scare the shit out of me. Yeah, it's so true. So much to learn about the baby process. And I hope that his head eventually reaches normal size. I hope it reaches watermelon size. I'm actually, it'd be very interesting if his head just continues growing at this rate relative to the rest of his body, um, because he's going to look like one of those Pixar characters. Well, eventually it's strength training to support yeah. his head. So he's going to be True. jacked. Yeah. True. You remember the uh, cartoon, Hey Arnold? Oh, yeah. Where his head oh, was like I love that cartoon. A really big football. Mm -hmm. That's kind of what Leo's is going to be, but with a beach ball. <laughs> okay, we have the best episode for you. In fact, right before we were recording, we're like, this might be the best outline we've ever had. I'm so excited. I feel like I have this nervous, excited energy for this because the topics are just so good. Like, yeah. We have to do it justice. And I didn't want to mess up with the intro. I'm like, hopefully, I don't say anything that turns people off because we have the ultimate turn on podcast. <laughs> uh, so here's a quick roadmap. Uh, we're going to do a few shoe updates of just talking about shoes and our experiences with them, some protein powder reviews. Uh, uh, responding to listener questions. Talk about a new review study on long-term training approaches that just came out this weekend. Uh, how our thoughts have evolved on workouts, where our coaching has gone. And then my most excited topic is hot takes. Oh, I like how you say that. Hot takes. Yes. I was thinking that after we read each one, we might have to say, oh, shit. Um, so these are crowdsourced from listeners, and it's going to be a new segment in the podcast. Then we have questions on sex function athletics, uh, why race photos are the absolute worst, and possibly more. I'm so excited for all of this. I feel like we have our listener hot takes, and then our protein powder is basically going to be hot takes. Yeah. So after we review each yeah. one, we should be like, oh, shit. <laughs> and some of them make us go, oh, shit. Um, especially one of the ones we're going to talk about in particular. Okay. Uh, so first, just some follow-ups from Canyons 100K. Uh, I'm deep in recovery. And I thought that some of these observations might be interesting for athletes that are also going through like some acute stress and then recovery. Uh, the first is that my deep sleep is quite a bit lower than it was before the race. I don't know what exactly the mechanism is there. It probably has to do with some um, nervous system activation. In, in, in addition, my resting heart rate is still a few beats elevated, even after a good bit of recovery. So 
I'm going to try to work through this. I think it points out how monitoring these variables might be good after a big acute stress. I'm particularly fascinated by the deep sleep variable. And yeah. Leo has been crushing sleep. He's been doing so good. He has showed up uh, like a big-headed king and yeah. has like absolutely crushed 12 hours of sleep a night. So that's not that variable. Um, and I think, I mean, I do think it goes to show that perhaps you're just a little bit still like recovering from the race. But your resting heart rate is also curious to me too. And I wonder how much of that is a blood volume component. Yeah. Because, you know, post-race, you're not training quite so much. You took a number of rest days. And that does tend to drop blood volume. And so it's kind of the question of like, is that recovery? Is that blood volume? Is yeah. that your body hasn't had as much aerobic activation recently? I'm curious. Yeah. Well, the blood volume rationale that you were telling me is why I'm going to hop in the sauna right after we record this, because I stopped doing my heat training. And then as we've talked about, we're huge fans of year round heat acclimation and blood volume theories for fitness. Mm -hmm. And I wonder if some of what I feel right now is not having to do with the race. It's just my blood volume has contracted a ton in the rest period. And as we talked about, some of the studies show you can get 10 to 15% improvements in blood volume over just a few days mm -hmm. of heat acclimation. So maybe all I need is a little bit of sauna and a little bit of chill time. I do think that will help. But basically you've been telling me you've been feeling like normal. You're like, oh, I feel great. Yeah. I feel so good. And then we recorded a Patreon podcast on Friday and you're kind of like, ah, I feel like shit. And I was like, wait a second, <laughs> David, this is totally counter to the arguments we've been having or the, like, the discussions that we've been having yeah. as a coach athlete. It's the mic curious. Makes, yeah, the mic makes the truths come out. Um, <laughs> so what I was worried about last week in particular is that both my knees were quite sore. Um, and this might be a thing to do with inflammation or just the unique stress of the 100K. And on Friday, when we were recording the Patreon bonus episode, I reached the ultimate fuck it moment. And as we were talking about with Grayson Murphy, athletes sometimes need to reach the fuck it moment on like long-term trajectories and sometimes with injuries. So I decided, you know what? I'm just going to massage the shit out of this thing. Uh, so I, after that, I massaged my knee for like 30 minutes with just my fingers. And then it was totally fine. Your fingers have magical powers. <laughs> like in, in many ways. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah, wait, yeah. Wait, wait. Yeah. yeah. We just need to pause for a second there. We'll do the hot takes. Oh, shit. <laughs> oh, shit. They have, they have magical powers. But you've done that for my injuries too. And yeah. usually when you massage the shit out of it, it goes away. Yeah, and it's an interesting thought in general is that sometimes when you have soft tissue injuries – some direct massage can be helpful. I, I usually like it more with like the foam roller or something mm -hmm. that controls the effort, but it's really, you can't really foam roll your knee. Although I did try. <laughs> oh, I believe it. <laughs> I did try. Um, and it's amazing how much sometimes that makes little things go away. So if you've reached a point with an injury where you're like a weekend, you've tried, I went to a practitioner last week that didn't really help that much. Um, <laughs> and I'm just like, oh, I guess I'm just either going to rest or do something. I just massaged the hell out of it and it worked. Well, I didn't think that was the intervention that you're going with. I thought it was the fact that you've been wearing this knee sleeve. Yeah. And I have underneath been. the knee sleeve, I think because to prevent chafing, you've been putting fire and ice lubricant yeah. on your knee. And then you have a knee sleeve and then you have compression socks. And you kind of look like you're a 95 year old guy just going out for a jog. Yeah. It's it's an interesting look. So I was using the Trojan fire and ice lubricant. <laughs> or I just, no, no, it's a her pleasure lubricant. I oh, yeah. Oh, you, were being, you were thinking of, I was, you I were was, thinking of my pleasure. Just fingers thinking. Um, and uh, the reason is just like this shit works amazingly um, but it works so well with the knee sleeve that the knee sleeve slipped off like fully <laughs> off and I'm like damn that is a good advertisement for Trojan Herb Pleasure Lubricant um, and I was actually worried at Canyons because I used it um, before I got drug tested for um, to prevent irritations and um, chafing and I was like shit what if this stuff has a performance enhancing drug in it did you did you declare it on your no, no, no. no. <laughs> that would be really funny. It would yeah. be hilarious if you declared that. <laughs> Trojan or pleasure. No, I did not declare it on the drug testing forum, though perhaps I should have. Though it's just a silicon uh, thing, so it, it was fine. Um, but do recommend that. If you're one of those people that just know lubrication substance works for preventing chafing, try it out. Um, but I've been using the knee sleeve and embracing my 90-year-old destiny because 
I know I'm going to be the 90 year old that runs in a knee brace really slow around uh, the neighborhood. And that's kind of what I was doing this weekend. Um, But one final little interesting lesson that made me reflect on that experience was at the end of my run yesterday, like eight miles into it, I just decided to turn around and send it on one three minute hill segment. And I felt so good. Um, And my body felt so great. And it's kind of like, a mindfuck in a good way most of the way, most of the time to be like my best event would be a two or three minute hill and I just did 100k so I'm pretty proud of myself well can I share the context of this so you got really excited about this segment and I thought yeah. it was really cool like your training success is my my life joy and it was Mother's Day yesterday and so after you finished this run I got a text of just the picture of the segment yeah. with your crown and then underneath it it just said you're a sexy mom and it was like <laughs> your Mother's Day gift to me it was so great it's the only gift I gave you actually. <laughs> yeah other than letting you carry Leo. That's the only <laughs> gift I gave you. Um, so that was interesting. And also uh, from a pure training perspective, and we'll get into a little bit of this when we get to the review study, it was fascinating because this was my first like truly holy lactic mm-hmm. interval in quite a while where I've just really pushed to the well. Um, and I've been doing so many controlled intervals in the meantime. And what I noticed is I didn't really feel any pain on this. Like it was a very different feeling. And I think it points out why lactate controlled training is so important, even when you're doing shorter events like the 800 or the mile, Uh, because it was very evident to me that my body was processing and clearing lactate in a Mm -hmm. much more efficient manner even though I haven't been go producing that much lactate at any one time. So um, even if you're training for short events, whether it's a mile, the 5K, the 10K, still keep your intervals controlled because I think that that lactate um, clearance and processing and using it for fuel, those mechanisms will really apply. Do you know why I think you weren't experiencing pain? Why? You had that fire and ice lubricant. <laughs> you, were, you were fully fire and ice. You couldn't feel anything. I, dude, that shit is good. People should try it out. You could, you could only feel the pleasure of 185 heart rate. <laughs> <laughs> it was so fun. But it's actually, I mean, that is a curious point though, because I find too, when I'm coming into an effort rested as well, yeah. I find I can get my heart rate a lot higher. Like for me, if I'm coming into an effort rested and I hit 185 heart rate, it yeah. feels totally different than if I'm carrying a lot of fatigue or I'm like deep in a training block at that effort. Yeah. And I think it's one of the reasons that if you look at college teams, a lot of the times, especially in the old days when the US-based training systems were so focused on very, very high intensity, like hard 400s athletes would sometimes run their best times early season Mm -hmm. and then stagnate a little bit because they were doing lactate controlled training in the base period. And then were able, as long as you're doing fast strides and enough fast work to be mechanically adapted, they were able to absolutely fly in those short events. And it was very cool because I felt that firsthand because I have pushed this hill interval before and I went eight seconds faster than I did at a much younger age when I was, I think, more anaerobically fit. And it points out that aerobic fitness is everything. And it's one reason why I'm so excited to see your journey because you have focused so much on that zone one swag. And now, you know, the strength work is a little preview of the remix that you're planning on some big dreams, I think, this year. Oh, thank you. I've never really done a zone one focus. Like, I don't think I've had enough athletic patience to hit zone one. Like, this morning I did a bike at 129 heart rate, which is unheard of for me. And it's (laughs) it's fun. I actually, I really, truly enjoy the zone one stuff. But I am starting to believe a little bit with training goals. I'm starting to scheme some race plans. I'm excited. Are you comfortable saying what those goals are? Are you there yet? I haven't fully decided which races I'm going to do. Once I decide, I will. But I think I'm debating right now. I would love to get to OCC um, in Chamonix this year. And I don't have a ton of... So you have to qualify now to get to OCC. I do have a higher UTMB index score. So 
it's it's very confusing. We need yeah. a whole mind map as to how we can get to UTMB races. But I think I can do Speed Goat 50K. Oh, and place, shit. Place somewhere within like the top 15 and get to OCC. So that's... Okay. That's I haven't fully signed up for it yet, but I would love to do that. Oh, man. Our listeners are going to go crazy. The fact that you're putting that out there. This is so exciting, Megan. Well, I haven't. I mean, I love fast races. Yeah. And OCC and Speed Goat are definitely more steep, verdy, mountainous terrain. And it's kind of fun. Like... I don't know. I've seen, I've worked with so many athletes that have stepped outside their comfort zone. You did that with Canyon's yeah. 100K. And I just want to try something new and different. And I'm excited for that. Well, I can't wait to see what happens. Based on how great you did in the 45 seconds of strength work, <laughs> yeah. you're ready to crush some mountains. I'll say that much. Okay. Uh, so let's get to the topics. The first thing we're going to talk about is just some quick shoe notes because people, a lot of people, we have a lot of foot twins that listen to the podcast that agree with our shoe takes. Uh, so the first one that we've gotten a bunch of questions on for me is that I ran in the Hoka Mafate Speed 4s at Canyon's. And they were fantastic. I loved them. Never once did I think about my feet the entire time, whether it was, you know, running sub six minute miles downhill or, you know, hiking really fast. Like they really are a great all around trail shoe. And I recommend them very highly. And Hoka crushed the advertising because yeah. they they describe them as shoes built for UTMB, which is perfect because yeah. I feel like a lot of trail races now are starting to approximate UTMB trail races. So it's kind of fun to have a shoe designed for that. They also remind me a lot of the Speed Divas. They're not yeah. quite there. It's like describing a lover that you can never quite quite make again. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I mean, I think they're great shoes. Yeah, Megan had a moment this weekend where she's like, you know what? I have a few pairs of Spigo Divas. Somehow Megan hoarded a few <laughs> of the final pairs. She ordered them from France years ago. And you're such a lucky bitch because you have these shoes that are so life-changing. I'm just trying to catch that lightning, that fire I once had with the Spigo Divas in the Mafates. And I really like the Mafates, but nothing will ever match the Spigo Divo. It does give me a little bit of anxiety though, because I have these beautiful, amazing shoes hanging out in the closet and yeah. I'm never going to get the opportunity to have those exact shoes again. So I have to very specifically decide which runs I'm going to do with them. <laughs> and it has to be a special run when I'm yeah. wearing the Evo Spigots. Well, I'll, I'll give you some confidence that I do think the Mafate is a great shoe. I don't think it's quite as fast, but I think it's very durable. It's probably better for ankles at the end of the day. Um, so if you're out there and looking for the type of shoe that you can go long in and feel comfortable in, and they're still pretty fast, I think we can officially endorse the Mafate Speed 4, though I guess it's an unofficial endorsement because Hoka doesn't we don't do anything with Hoka, but yeah, we recommend the shoe. Also order a half size down because I was, I was going to order, I actually did order the Mafates in a size seven and they were huge on me yeah. and I'm usually a size seven in other shoes. So I think if you're on the fence, try a half size down. I don't have that issue. Um, so maybe huh. it has to do more with like either the women's shoe or your particular foot size relative to the shoe, because I have much more of the classic Hobbit feet and, <laughs> and Megan has the beautiful foot model feet. So a little bit different boat there. Uh, pregnancy, I think actually sometimes changes foot structure. Oh, I don't so think it has changed mine, but uh, yeah. maybe that's the reason why. Maybe I was pregnant. Yep. <laughs> um, okay. The, the final one there is the shoe that you've liked recently, which, what is that? The Saucony Triumph. Yeah. It's a it's a road shoe. So it's a very similar build to the, the Saucony uh, Endorphin Speed 3s, which yeah. I love, but they have a nylon plate. So I'm like, you know, I don't want to run in those every single day. I want to kind of save those two to three times per week. And I love the Triumphs. Yeah. I had a day where I was running trails on them in our backyard. And I was like, you know, these trail shoes are 8,000 times better than the Nike Zagama trail <laughs> shoe. And they're not even trail shoes. I call them trail shoes and they're road shoes. <laughs> <laughs> Some shots fired there yes, across yeah. the bow of the swoosh, which I like. Um, but yeah, the Saucony Triumph, I've recommended it to athletes based on your recommendation. And a number have said that it's a great shoe that they had never really experimented with. So pretty cool that, you know, I think that this could be that shoe that's the in-between. Like, 
we used to love the Nike Pegasus and mm-hmm. recommended it to everybody. And they've just kind of done weird things with that shoe over time. It's I, st- I still like it. I just yeah. think it's a little bit more narrow and less cushioned. Like to me, I feel like the Saucony Triumph is a great combination of cushion and speed. Yeah. And you can also, I mean, it's wi- it, the platform is wide enough to me that I can also wear it on trails. Uh, yeah, I like it. It's kind of got like a sleek feel, but it can also go kind of fast. Um, you know, I don't know, like... It's kind of like if Tesla made a minivan. Oh, I like that. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes that sometimes look like minivans to me. Yeah. I've Have also thought about that. Do you think every SUV is a minivan? I do. I think that SUVs just are min- minivans with good branding. <laughs> that is an official position of David Roach. Well, I thought the Saucony Triumphs were great trail shoes. I was like, these road shoes are going to be great in trails. And then I took them to the East Coast trails, to the Beast Coast, and I've fucked my ankle <laughs> multiple times. Yeah, so that was not great. Yeah, we have learned that we need to tape Megan's ankles up so, so, so much that it's actually quite disturbing looking. You look like a mummy from the shin down. I don't know what's going on with my ankles. I think it might be breastfeeding actually, which yeah. increases joint laxity, but I have been trucking my ankles. Sometimes I'll be out there on a run and I'll just like think about it and I'll make this noise. Be like, ah, <laughs> I could be spreading my ankle right now. Yeah, you got to get over that. You've got to get the, you got to get the just like swag that it's okay to fuck your ankle every now and then. I know, but you say every now and then. I was doing it like three times a run. Yeah, but you're able to get over it. Yeah. So like, I mean, I, I think that's a good message for all trail runners is that you have to accept that three times a year, you're just going to have a week off for ankle injuries. And that's okay. Maybe you won't, but accept that that's going to happen. And don't listen to a doctor unless you have a broken ankle. <laughs> every doctor is like, oh, that's going to be six weeks. And it's like, okay, a trail runner would never run if they waited six weeks for that ankle. Yeah. Well, you say three times a year, I'm three times a run. Uh, <laughs> yeah. but, but that being said, I am trying. So you have a great video online on ankle taping yeah. and I've just added an extra layer of tape. It's like, you know, I really, I call it gift wrapping my ankles. I'm like, I'm gifting my ankles this tape because they need it. And I'm basically triple gift wrapping my ankles. Yes. Well, we use like athletic tape and like an off-brand KT tape. I feel like we should just start using duct tape. (laughs) (gasps) That's a great idea. Yeah. It fixes everything. It does. I should just, I mean, at this point I should just have surgery and make my ankle ligaments duct tape. Yeah. Like it's kind of like, you know, horse hooves or whatever. They don't have the joint bending in the same way that humans do. So they never twist their ankle. Well, if they do, they need to be shot. Well, if they do though, they might fuck their legs. So I think it is important to be careful with that because if you think about like, if you make your, your ankle taping so tight, you worry that if you do get your ankle, that that stress goes all the way up, like to the knee, to the hip, to other areas. Well, let's do a decision tree on this. There's a 95% chance that you twist your ankle on a trail run right now versus a 1% chance that you need to be euthanized after a severe break. Which do you take, Megan? Come on, think about it. I'd rather give my, wrap my ankles. Okay, good. And that's probably what we recommend to everybody else. Okay, uh, quick discussion of protein powders. Um, to start very seriously, we wanted to say that we have seen in athletes that protein intake is one of the highest predictors of adaptation rate. Um, and we've become broken records with this over time. Mm-hmm. In fact, we had dinner last night with Tabor Hemming and Eli Hemming, who are two of the best trail owners in the world, two of our athletes, two of our closest friends. And we were talking to them, just trying to find out how they've reached this top level so quickly because we know their training. We want to know everything because they are the example of athletes that we want others to emulate and we want to learn all of their secrets. Um, and among other, among other things, one of the things they mentioned is that they've really been focusing on their protein intake this winter and they think that it's really improved their adaptation. And I'm so inspired. I'm like, I'm on two times a day protein powder. Yes. And I, I'm doing it very diligently. It's, it's kind of fun and exciting, but it's also great to think about like what protein powders are we putting into our body? Yeah. How does it fit into the context of time? timing. And it's, I think it's a wild west 
landscape of things for athletes to think about. Yeah. So let's start with like, what do you recommend for athletes when it comes to ingesting protein, especially protein powders? I mean, it depends on the athlete and depends on kind of their life schedule and how they're training. But for me, what I do is post-workout, I always have protein powder. Yeah. And then I try to have it again at some point later in the day, whether that's right before bed. So having it right before bed has shown some research in terms of reducing cortisol levels, improving yeah. recovery and adaptation. Or, you know, if I'm not doing that, sometimes I'll, I'll toss it into the afternoon snack. Yeah. So mid-afternoon, I think, is like the best insurance place. Like a lot of people don't love having protein powder. So mid-afternoon, if you just don't want to have it after your workout, is an okay place to do it. Just like mm-hmm. a big heaping scoop of protein. But if you can, right after you run is a great place to do it. We're the original proponents of protein cereal where you mix that sweet, sweet chocolate checks or peanut butter checks in oh, the protein. Peanut butter checks has been my jam recently. That stuff is good. It is so good. Um, and doing that right after exercise can be great, but you don't have to do all that. But um, what we've both found is that two protein shakes a day work great for us. Make it uncomplicated. Mm-hmm. Something very similar to like you can take it like a shot. It's just hydration that you down and it's a supplement rather than a replacement can be so, so, so helpful. And that's been key for me because I love food. Like at the end of the day, I want to be eating food. I don't want to be consuming like various powders. Like that's not my jam. So for me, when I take protein powder, I actually don't even mix it into a smoothie. I just drink it straight. Yeah. And I find that really helpful because then I can eat the delicious foods that I love and it becomes more of a supplement as opposed to like a meal replacement. Yeah. And I think this is where it really comes in handy for athletes that are pushing their bodies to the limits. And for the longest time, I feel like endurance athletes didn't consider themselves as power strength athletes. And what we're seeing, whether it's in studies or in practice, is that we are strength athletes, which is why we encourage eating enough always and treating your body well, because the power you generate per stride is what creates your speed. And I think a lot of that does come from, you know, the ability to get enough protein so that your muscles can get as strong as they can. Um, so in generally we say like a hundred plus grams a day, um, all the way up to like a gram per pound of body weight, even though that's probably at the high end, you can generally get by with a little less. Um, and we've seen, you know, this has all been um, done with nutritionists and working with them and that this is generally the recommendation that top athletic nutritionists are giving to elite athletes across the board. And so I think everybody should do it. And when you have athletes doing the two times a day protein shake, and for me, what I do is I do a scent protein, which is a whey protein, mostly because I find it's delicious and it doesn't make me so full that I can't eat the food that I love, which is two times a day of whey protein. What do you tell athletes is like the gold standard of type of protein to consume? And do you mix up that protein source if they are having two protein shakes a day? So I don't mess with all that because in general, most of like a whey, it's a complete protein. And all of the things we're going to talk about today for the most part are complete proteins because mm-hmm. they mix proteins. So um, let's just get straight to the reviews and that'll that'll help, I think. So the first I was going to say is Vega and I'll answer the question and then we'll get to it. Um, so Vega protein is plant-based mm-hmm. um, and often those aren't complete proteins, but they mix protein sources so that they do have a complete amino acid profile. Um, and this is a really good one. It's still one of the ones I use um, for, for whatever reason, it really helps me feel good. It has a ton of protein. I think it's like 30 grams. Um, but Gotta say, sometimes I don't look forward to drinking it. Yeah, why is that? I don't know. Well, one, it really fills me up. I don't know why that is. I have that same problem too. And two, it's just like very thick. Mm -hmm. It's like T-H-I-C-C thick. (laughs) It really pushes the limits of that. So yeah, what are your thoughts on it? I think it's delicious. I think the mocha flavor is outstanding. And I think it's actually, I think it mixes really well into smoothies. So I give it an A++ in terms of taste. Wow, That being said, I give it like a D. So I don't take Vega because I have the same issue. It makes me super full. Yeah, It's kind of like, you know, like when a snake swallows a mouse and you can see it going all the way down their stomach. (laughs) When I drink Vega, that's kind of how I feel. I'm like, I feel like I have this like bolus of something that you can see externally on my body going down into my 
my stomach. Good vocab word, bolus. That's a, yeah, medical word. I like it. It's so perfect. Um, so try Vega, especially if you're a vegetarian athlete out there or vegan athlete. Um, it is a really good option. I, I, We've I think had athletes perform really well on it. I think it. it's tough to do two a day. This is more of a one a day situation. I yeah. think you can probably mix protein powders if you're going to do this because again, it is quite heavy. And, and for me, it does prevent, it might actually reduce my total caloric intake slightly across mm-hmm. the course of a day. So I'm careful with it. And I try to monitor, okay, I make sure I eat enough around it. Uh, number two is what Megan mentioned, ascent protein. She has turned me on to this one. It is amazing. It is so good. I got like the Sir Mix-a-Lot protein because it mixes so well. It's like <laughs> insane. The level of like, I don't know, smoothness that you get from this protein, the chocolate. Oh, it's delicious. Yeah. The chocolate of this is definitely my favorite of any protein. And it's super light and tasting and it goes down so easy. And so especially if you're doing two a day, this is the perfect like mid-afternoon protein because you drink it. It's almost just like a hydration drink. Um, and it's just kind of amazing. And I also think whey protein has a lot of great science on mm-hmm. it. A lot of the studies are on whey. So think about that one. And for me, I love, so my favorite combination is chocolate ascent and then peanut butter checks. And I just, I kind of drink the checks, which is an interesting way to consume yeah. checks, but it's, oh, it's so delicious. Yeah. You don't need any her pleasure lubricant when (laughs) you're drinking that because you are just wet all over. It's just going down. I'm surprised we haven't found a way to puree uh, peanut butter checks at this point for Leo. Oh, he would love it. Oh, he would love that stuff. We should go for it. Yeah. Um, Next up is Gnarly. Uh, Gnarly makes these great proteins. Gnarly is a great company and we Mm -hmm. love supporting. How did you like those? I, I mean, I like them. They were good. I wouldn't yeah. say it was a scent level. I struggled a little bit with the mixability of it. I felt like it still was kind of like drinking powder as yeah. it was going down. And honestly, I didn't love the smell, but I think I've had athletes love it. It's great. I love gnarly cherry cola hydration mix. Uh, is yeah. I drink it every single day. It's so good. So I, lo- I love gnarly products. I just, I'm picky on my yeah. protein powder. So Which this is, is a very honest review. Yeah, but I love gnarly. And it's it points thing. out for everyone that find what works for you because- mm-hmm. Um, you know, for us, for example, we're not going to take the time to use like a blender bottle or a blender or whatever. (laughs) We just are like, give me water, give me a protein, give me a spoon and maybe some checks. (laughs) And so, you know, that really does start to matter. Um, on the good tasting front, momentous protein is pretty tasty. Oh, that stuff is so good. It's also quite expensive. Delicious. It's worth it though. Oh, it's so good. Um, I don't know, Megan. I don't know if we will ever go to college (laughs) by Momentous Protein, Um, but it is very good. And Momentous is one of those places, if you're on the fence about, you just don't like any protein powder, try that one because a lot of athletes say it's their favorite. Can I talk about the worst tasting protein powder I've ever had in my life? Yeah. What is it? It was Trader Joe's chocolate protein powder. It was (laughs) horrible. And I've loved, it was the only Trader Joe's product to date that I haven't. I mean, I love everything about Trader Joe's products. This was exquisitely terrible. Yeah, it was horrible. One, it didn't mix at all. It didn't mix at all. It was like, it was like consuming straight powder. So I mean, yeah. I spent. I I am not a vigorous mixer. I mix for like thirty seconds and call it a day. I mix this for a solid four minutes, and I was still <laughs> consuming straight powder. You know what it tasted like to me, and this is going to be pretty gross. Is like imagine a, a cow that's being milked, right? And mm-hmm. so they're milked, and then you wait thirty minutes, and then you suck to get the dry part out of the other. <laughs> That's what it tasted like to me. Also, is that physiologically appropriate? I feel like there's no dry part of the other. Also, you probably should be sucking on the other yeah, um, as, a, all, as a human. All of that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Didn't really think through that analogy, but I think people get the idea. Um, and actually, on my drug testing sheet, I had to list Trader Joe's protein because <laughs> I was like, oh, shit, that stuff was so bad. I don't know what they put in there. We took it on vacation, and you can tell I was – this is how committed I am to the protein bit. I just started eating the powder. Yeah, and yeah. it was basically like – I mean, it was in the water, but it wasn't mixing. And I was like, well, you you know, I don't know if it still counts as protein powder yeah. if I'm just eating it without mixing it, but I, that's what I was doing. It's like thin brown water and on top is 
dry brown cottage cheese. It was gross. But you know what I did? I put in peanut butter checks and I tried to mix it. And so ah, they would yeah, get yeah. coated like in the powder. And I was like, you know, maybe I'm eating Muddy Buddies. Yeah, well, like <laughs> if you mix peanut butter checks in anything, it might be redeemable, right? Like you could put peanut butter checks in a landfill. I was going to say a vial of shit. Yeah. <laughs> like a literal actual shit. And I'd be like, yeah, it's kind of good. That's okay. Yeah. That's pretty good. And that's why if I say something's bad, that is my context. Is yeah. I'd probably eat shit covered in peanut butter uh, peanut yeah. butter checks. So if I say protein powder is bad, it's horrifically bad. <laughs> um, next up, Orgain. I've heard a lot of people use it. This is another one of those. I don't think I've had that. Um, it's very sandy. I'm not a huge fan. I mean, it sounds like Rogaine. So I feel like yeah. I'd expect to grow some bicep and some hair at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then finally, I wanted to talk about like the types you buy at GNC. There's a lot of these like optimum nutrition type stuff. Um, and they are often quite delicious, but also scare me just a little bit because oh, yeah. they often have a lot of little additives in it. And mm-hmm. all of these proteins have some sort of additives because unless you buy the purely um, naked stuff, uh, you know, to make it taste okay, they usually put stuff in it. Uh, but these have always scared me a little bit. Whenever I've done them, particularly when I was younger, I always just feel like a bodybuilder rather than a runner. I don't know if there's anything to that, but I'd suggest trying one that is kind of a little bit more of a lifestyle brand than a GNC brand. <laughs> a lifestyle, like Trader Joe's. <laughs> Trader Joe's. <laughs> yeah. Trader Joe's is a lifestyle. Um, and speaking of, we talked about Trader Joe's a couple of weeks ago uh, on the podcast where we said that we heard that they were required to compliment your food. Mm-hmm. Turns out that that is fake news, at least according to a lot of our listeners, who said that um, they had worked at Trader Joe's. And it's just a place where every single cashier seems like they're down to fuck. They must have an amazing fuck culture there. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's what it comes back to. Actually, I got excited when I heard that because I love Trader Joe's. And I was like, oh man, we're being scammed. But no, they actually want to bang me. I I had more self-confidence after that. (laughs) That is so good. (laughs) Yeah, why aren't there more like, you know, dramas, rated R dramas set in Trader Joe's? Oh, that would be so fun. Yeah, instead of Bridgerton. Trader Joe's a ton. Like, that would be so sexy. I, I, I don't know. I feel like we have to do that. We totally have to do that. We have to have the protein powder in there. That <laughs> yeah. could be the basis. That could be the basis of the entire narrative. <laughs> Licking it off your <laughs> co-worker's chest. Okay, uh, let's get to the systematic review that just came out in sports medicine. This is a fascinating, fascinating topic. So here's the title. Long-term development of training characteristics and performance-determining factors in elite-slash-international and world-class endurance athletes. A scoping review. I like the term, a scoping review. Yeah, yeah. I like it. Um, so here is the goal of the authors. To identify and evaluate existing research that describes the long-term development of training characteristics and performance-determining factors in male and female endurance athletes. Um, and to do that, they looked at 17 peer-review studies after screening 16,000 of these. Um, they found some running studies, but they also included swimming, rowing, biathlon, Paralympic swimming. That's very cool. Mm -hmm. um, Cross-country ski and triathlon. And in total, out of all these 17 peer review studies, they had 109 athletes um, and 27% of them were women, which is quite low, but I think it it actually reflects the fact that like women are underrepresented in sports science. But there's a long tail on that underrepresentation because if you think about scoping reviews and systematic reviews and narrative reviews, they're all, they're all scraping like prior past literature. So if we're just now starting to catch up on female athlete research, it's going to take a little bit of while, a while for that to percolate into like systematic reviews and scoping reviews. Yeah. And one of the most interesting things here is that the studies on women were generally single athlete case studies. So Mm -hmm. the entire study was based on that one female athlete in particular with, um, one of the best female cross country skiers of all time. Um, whereas the male studies were like, Hey, here's 50 men. Um, (laughs) so it's interesting because I do think we can find just as many, um, conclusions. And what the study found is that there wasn't a 
specific gender difference. Okay, so let's get to the findings because uh, this probably suits what you think, but we're gonna get to some conclusions that we have for training and things afterward. So the first is that they found a nonlinear year-to-year increase in training volume for most of the athletes, but then resulted in a subsequent plateau. Um, they found that it usually takes about 10 to 15 years of focused training to build up like this. Um, and then often in athletes' late 20s for these world-class athletes, they plateaued with those numbers usually being 500 to 900 hours per year, depending on the sport. And I think for me, the nonlinear component of that was, yeah. was the money ball component of this paper. So they found this nonlinear increase in training volume, and they found that it varied from 30 to 500% over periods that ranged from two to 17 years. Yeah. So that's a huge variability. And I feel like so often we hear from practitioners or coaches or like, even just how we conceptualize training theory, that you should only build up training volume, you know, 10% each year, yeah. these arbitrary numbers, when in reality, you can actually do the trial of miles as long as you're doing it carefully and cautiously and methodically and have these nonlinear jumps that add up. Yeah, I think nonlinear jumps, as long as it's coming from easy training, mm-hmm, exactly, is kind yeah. of the secret to like nonlinear endurance growth in general, like where you're able to make that jump. Um, so we're going to briefly maybe talk about the trial of miles later, but the idea being that at some point in your athletic trajectory, after you've built up enough of a base to be confident, you're good on eating, you understand your intensity distribution, go for it. Just try kind of scary things. Um, and I think this study backs that up with real world practice. So only six of those case studies looked at training intensity distribution. And what they found, I think, was curious. So what they found was that most of the studies actually did have improvement in things like lactate threshold and peak performance, but it wasn't happening through the lens of VO2 max. So the development of VO2 max and like improving VO2 max was actually inconsistent across a lot of the studies, which aligns with how we think about training is that we're training to think about running economy and efficiency and Sometimes we have VO2 related workouts, but that's not the improving VO2 max isn't actually the end goal of those VO2 related yeah, workouts. Yeah, definitely. And one of the studies they looked at actually was on Paula Radcliffe, which we've mentioned before. Um, so she was longtime world record holder in the marathon. And they measured her VO2 max from when she was 18 all the way through the end of her career in her late 30s. And it went down, her VO2 max went down substantially, but mm-hmm. her running economy, the amount of speed she was able to do at her VO2 max improved by 15%. So it points out that a lot of these variables that are moving behind the scenes the physiological number is not what you want to drive. You want to drive essentially your power per stride that Mm -hmm. you're able to put out without using more oxygen. Um, And so that's why all of what we say about training theory essentially comes down to improving that power per stride number. Um, Here's actually a quote from the authors on that VO2 max finding. This result provides further support for the concept that endurance performance improvements after the age of 18 to 20 years are primarily related to other factors than VO2 max, such as improved fractional utilization of VO2 max and work economy slash efficiency. As always, it's about running economy. It really is. That's what to focus on is how to make the same paces take less energy, uh, not to use more energy. And I love the phrase running economy, but this study, of course, looked at other other components other than running. So they had swimming and you know yeah. some of these other like Paralympic events and things like that. So I love that they call it work economy. Yeah, in my head, point, it's yeah. W-E-R-K. It's work, work economy <laughs> instead of running economy. Yeah, it's very interesting. I actually went back and looked at some of the studies they were, were peeking at. One, The one on the Paralympic swimmer was fascinating mm-hmm. um, because like it was one of the six studies that looked at um, training intensity distribution. And what they find is in these elite athletes, when we're talking about these big hour totals, they're almost always doing like 90% of their training easy Mm -hmm. um, or up to steady. Uh, And that's a lesson that, okay, if you're trying to increase any of these variables, 
you really have to understand what easy is. Because if you try to do what the best are doing and what they have been shown to do over time without easy being truly easy, you're going to get fucked and your body's not going to progress. Yeah, it's the foundation for everything that we do. One question for you, though. So they have this caveat here. So performance improvements after the age of 18 to 20 are primarily related to other factors in VO2 max, which we talked about that constantly on the podcast. What do you think about training prior to age 18 and developing? Are you developing and building your VO2 max to help kind of raise that ceiling for the rest of life? How do you think about training younger than age 18? I don't think about VO2 max at all, whether it's for a young athlete or an old athlete. So you would apply these same principles to young athletes. Yeah, because like we have a better term, which is velocity of VO2 max Mm -hmm. or speed. As long as you're training your speed or your power output – None of this, none of that shit matters. Like, Mm -hmm. in fact, it might be a red herring that directs your training in the wrong direction. Mm -hmm. So like I was talking about with the short interval I did, um, my VO2 max, that was basically a hard VO2 max interval, maybe even a little higher than that. And my performance was better than ever, even though I've done basically zero VO2 max work outside of hill strides. Mm -hmm. Um, and the point being that, yeah, because VO2 max isn't a driver. Um, that's just a genetic variable that gets adapted really quick. So yes, we love short intervals, but we love short intervals to improve mechanical output rather than to improve VO2 max. And I think the cool thing is that once you've done that training to improve mechanical output, that has a long tail in terms of yeah. the body's ad- adaptation response to it. And usually you can come back to that training quite quickly. And I love the point that they made that you know they had these athletes were having nonlinear increases in training volume, but often that led to a plateau or even a decline in training volume. And they were still able to maintain performance, which I find fascinating because like once you do the trial miles or once you put in this volume, you can often get back to that point without having to put in the same volume or the same amount of work. That's such a fascinating point. Like progressive overload forever is Mm -hmm. cancerous, right? (laughs) right? It's just unrestrained growth. Actually, it's literally almost like the definition of cancer. It's like, like runaway, runaway, like overload. Exactly. So, you know, for these athletes, yes, you, you build up your training. It's like what we've talked about with overload blocks in general, Mm -hmm. but then you come back down to a baseline and that baseline might be higher than it was, but don't think that the nonlinear increases are the reality you have to inhabit to then maintain the benefits. Mm -hmm. Okay. So three conclusions from us, not from the authors. The first we talked about briefly, which is take some risks with your training volume. Like if you have the time, any bit counts, it doesn't have to be running, um, throwing some fuel in the fire, in zone one is your friend. That 128 heart rate that Megan did on the bike is your friend. And I think you can do that. And the second point is you can do that through cross training. Yeah. Uh, so crushing is a great way to add volume without, for me, it's like an amazing insurance against getting injured, but I'm thinking about those like zone one mitochondria gains and it's yeah. amazing. And then finally it's on the intense work. So VO2 max work is important to support these mechanical adaptations, but you don't need much of it or much volume in individual sessions. Mm-hmm. So like focus when you're ever you're doing this, focus on um, one, your health, but two, your economy of motion. Like you should not be doing things like one minute intervals unless you feel pretty good. And 25 one minute intervals is not better than 10 or 12 or 15 more efficient ones. Um, keep it efficient. And then we can have the aerobic work coming from the controlled intervals, the long runs, the easy training. Um, and you mix all that together over the course of, you know, 18 years or whatever, and you're able to see what you're capable of. I absolutely love the term that you just used, economy of motion. Yeah. It feels like it belongs in a haiku or something. Yeah, you put some her pleasure on it. So mm. much economy of motion. Oh my gosh, that's street smooth motion. Yeah. Yeah, there's there's no um, inflation 
in that economy. <laughs> Actually, no, that economy is characterized by inflation. It's not a better way to say it. It's just runaway inflation everywhere in the best way. Um, so we wanted to use that to have a little check-in on workouts. Do you still want to do this? Yeah, I love this. Well, okay. I think our training philosophy has evolved quite a bit. And I think it's, as as coaches, your training philosophy should be evolving because yeah. like you're gathering more data points from athletes. The science keeps evolving. And I think it's kind of, we've only tweaked them in, in slight ways. Like I think our training philosophy since day one has largely been the same. Yeah. But it's kind of fun to think about what tweaks we've made over time. Yeah, it scares me whenever anyone hasn't fundamentally changed their approach, or at least in ways that feel fundamental to them. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I'm like, you're not asking everybody, right? Like, so when we talk to Tabor and Eli, the reason we talk to them is one, they're incredibly smart. They're incredible coaches themselves. But two, it's like, what can we learn that will change our way of thinking that we don't know already? So even though we're giving them their miles and stuff, we're also like, what are you doing that might help all of these processes? Um, so let's talk about workouts a little bit. Um, first one we wanted to check in on was on tempo and steady running after intervals. Um, this is something that you've taught me and that we've talked about briefly on the podcast before, but I wanted to emphasize it again because I think it can be so helpful. So like doing a set of intervals and it doesn't have to be a ton that can be stuff like VOG max or something else. And then just doing controlled quick running afterward. And it can be a little bit more unstructured. So for athletes, I say something like go do our classic swap five by three minute hills. And then sometimes I'll structure it as like a 15 minute tempo or just run back to the car a little bit faster. And I think after you do this set series of, of intervals, having this slightly higher intensity, and it it doesn't have to be like crazy high intensity, but slightly higher intensity. I think it helps with biomechanical output, helps with just learning to, to run a little bit faster on tired legs and you get some aerobic gains too. And it can pull sizzle. (laughs) I think it really improves like fatigue resistance, durability. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Um, I love that. This is really highly characterized in cycling training nowadays where they'll do intervals or do harder efforts and then have like more steady state riding after. Um, And similarly, I think runners can benefit a lot from that. Um, The next up is I want to actually ask you, Hill strides or flat strides? What? Where are you at right now? Are you giving hill strides or flat strides? I would say 90% hill strides. Okay. So an athlete to me, they have to be super durable for me to give them like faster flat ground strides. Yeah. But hill strides, I feel like they they do so much between like the power and the speed output when you combine them together. I feel like they have a lot more bang for the buck than, hill, than flat ground strides. I've reached the same conclusion. Yeah. So like I used to give so many flat strides um, when I started coaching. So like, um, you know, six by 20 seconds on flat ground or whatever. Um, and over time, I've just been like, one, it's a high injury risk mm-hmm. because yeah. like, if you do enough of those, eventually someone's going to pull a hamstring through bad form or just issues or hurt their calf muscle or whatever. Um, and two, like I think sometimes athletes just overrun them and they get all of this stress of their mechanical system where they're just like flailing and not enough of the stress of the power from that mechanical system. Like we're on hill strides, the hill is making you put out more power. So I think both of us have probably come around a lot to hill strides being a bigger part of what we do. And so if you're out there and you're wondering like what you should do, hill strides two to three times per week, four Mm -hmm. to eight by 20 to 30 seconds fast up a hill can make a fundamental difference. You don't even need to worry about flat strides unless you find out later on that you're doing shorter races or you're really speed limited. Or I think even if someone's at really high altitude, that's a case why I might use flat ground strides because it's easier to get the body rolling or an athlete. So if I have a, like an athlete that's pretty bulletproof, not super injury prone, and they're doing a a big hill workout block, sometimes I get flat ground strides because it's the best way to get in a little bit more turnover if they're doing a big focus on hills already. Yeah. And I still like to work it in for basically everybody unless Mm -hmm. they're really injury prone. It's just smaller for me 
need smaller yeah, amounts. Yeah, just a lot smaller. You don't, it's like the VO2 discussion. You don't need a ton of it, right? Yeah. Um, to be totally ready to use it. And that's a lot different than I used to think. And I give all caps. I'm like, smooth. I'm basically yeah. shouting at them from the training log. These must be smooth. For flash. Yeah. On hill strides, I found that athletes can sometimes like run hard. Like mm-hmm. it's yeah. fine. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, once you adapt to it and you're used to it, like you can get to the point that at the end of the stride, you're like ha- hammering a little bit. Um, but on flat strides, you cannot do that. Like it's just a different stress. And if you do that, it's going to end in disaster. Another training theory thing that I've been playing around, around a lot with too is doing a little bit of speed work before then going into threshold work. So yeah. a great example of this could be like adding eight by one minutes um, before going into something like four by five minute tempos. And I think developing a little bit of lactate through that speed work and yeah. using it as like a biomechanical stimulus and then clearing that lactate in the tempo is a great way for the process for the body to start stacking on extra gains to yeah. workouts. I love that. I used to always th- say the speed comes after the threshold work, mm-hmm. right? So do bigger threshold sessions and then a little bit of speed at the end. Um, and that has its place for sure. And I, I still think that might be the most predominant way. But a good example is Grayson Murphy, who we interviewed last week, which she did a lot um, in this year before her half marathon, is she would get her speed stimulus via short intervals and then work directly into these controlled threshold sessions. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that might improve how your body clears and processes lactate because you produce lactate, then you have to use it. And that could have outsized benefits. So play around with your timing. And maybe that's the biggest lesson here of all is like your individual physiology might respond differently than you think. So like, Mm -hmm. you know, if you have 20 minutes of intervals, break it up in unique ways, see what makes you feel better and what seems like it's most beneficial to you on the background of these principles we're talking about. Also do what's kind of cool. What? So if we have, you know, tempo following intervals and speed before tempo, it's kind of hard to go wrong. Yeah. I like it. Throw some stimuli at it. (laughs) Throw everything against the wall and see what sticks, which is basically training theory. I mean, (laughs) as wild as it is on, on the background of these principles of mostly aerobic, mostly controlled, some hard, then you just kind of play around and see what works. And I think the liberating thing about coaching is realizing that it's not like a specific thing that has to work. Like you can use a bunch of different approaches within that general framework, but the framework is starting to solidify. Um, so yeah, if someone's trying to sell you a wholly new approach or that other people are stupid, there's not paying attention. I think it just all gets down to speed play. Yeah. It's like play with speed, Definitely. you know, and play with it delicately and just a little bit in training and it helps a ton. Yeah. No, no speed chafing. Yeah. yeah no right. No speed chafing. Use the, use the fire and ice. <laughs> yeah. Have everything slipping off. Um, okay. The final thing I actually wanted to ask you on is something that you've told me you've done with a couple athletes, which are aerobic build periods before ultras Mm -hmm. where what do you do during the session those periods of time so i found that athletes that respond really well to like aerobic rebuild weeks or aerobic blocks in training sometimes i layer four to five weeks before an ultra i take away intense workouts i still have strides i still have kind of some of that like biomechanical output and sometimes there might be a little bit of intensity on their long runs but i found that athletes that are slower twits often slower twitch often respond really well yeah. to the structure. And it, it depends. It, for me, it usually takes knowing an athlete for a long period of time to make sure they'll respond to this. But I've seen great results with it. So how about strides in those periods of time? I'll still use them, yeah. Like okay. six by 30 second, eight by 30 second hill strides. Sometimes I'll actually even give a little bit more strides um, during this period of time up to like 12 by 30 seconds. Wow, yeah. But I love, I think the athletes that respond well to aerobic training, like try playing with it a little yeah. bit before ultras. I mean, ultras such a high percentage of aerobic time and sometimes getting into those races like feeling aerobically primed yeah not overcooked just a great way well i've seen your athletes take over the world recently so i'm like <laughs> what are you doing differently um and I, I love how much you've committed to this in certain instances mm-hmm. not every instance and um but it, i'll use it sparingly yeah it's fascinating. i mean it's for athletes that are slow twitch and have like responded exceptionally well to these aerobic periods before yeah, it gets back to always be base building mm-hmm, exactly yeah which is i mean usually athletes too that are slow twitch and i 
give them this before the race. It's kind of like they understand what makes them tick in terms of their physiology. They get excited. But you know what's even more new and special? What? Hot takes. Oh, shit. Oh, shit. It's time for hot takes. Okay, so what we did is on our Patreon, we put up a call for people's spiciest takes. We said, you don't even have to believe these. Just tell us <laughs> things that sometimes you might kind of believe. Um, so this is on patreon.com slash swap, SWAP. There we do a 30-minute bonus episode every week. We're getting to 51 this week. So you have... 1,500 minutes of bonus podcasts built up of us answering questions, which is really exciting. It's a great community there, and we absolutely love getting your messages and everything else. I would say those podcasts are a lot like hot takes. Yeah. Yeah, they're fun. It's like having a hot take dinner table conversation with us. Yeah, and I mean, I'm so pumped for this because I think this can be our new frontier of the podcast, where every week we're going to do a few hot takes probably, mostly from our Patreon, but if you have it any that you like, send them in. Um, and our take, our idea is to use them as chances to riff on whether we agree, whether we don't. It'll have implications for training, life, other things perhaps. Uh, it doesn't have to be sports. You can send us in hot takes on anything. Um, and what it's motivated by is the Endless Honeymoon podcast, which is a podcast I really like from comedians uh, Moshe Kasha. Kasher and Natasha Legero, where they have a secrets hotline where listeners call in and read out their deepest, darkest secrets. Oh, we should do that too. We should do that. That would be really fun at some point. But I feel like Hot Takes is a good like intro because sometimes they read secrets and I'm like, okay, that's a little beyond my pay grade and a little intense. I know that scares me sometimes actually yeah. from like a liability standpoint, but we could always alternate hot takes and secrets. We could. But also too, with these hot takes, I feel like there's going to be, there are going to be a lot of jokes, yeah. but there's actually a lot of science in some of these too, Definitely. I imagine. I mean, we haven't like prepped for this, but I think as we go through and answer these, there'll be some good training. Yeah. So we have a bunch out. of hot takes here. Um, we think you're going to love them. So we're going to start with the first one. Paying for designer running clothes is a scam that people get shamed into by Instagram. Oh, shit. <laughs> no shit one. Um, okay, I actually want to counter this because I used to think the same way. Oh, I did too, yeah. And, well, a little less so than me because you always, at least when I met you, you were already on the bandwagon of, like, have a couple nice things. But I would just, like, run in whatever there was. And then Lululemon sent us some shit, and I'm like, Oh my God, my life is never going to be the same. It's so good. I never realized just how important like $160 sweatpants are. <laughs> Their sweatpants are so yeah. expensive, but they are so, so good. Maybe I would feel differently if, if I didn't get sent them. I was going to say, we didn't buy them. Yeah. I feel like I couldn't morally like walk into a store and buy that 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 extensive amount of clothes, but we got sent them and they are so good. But They're life-changing. I have a pair of Lululemon pants that I, yeah. that I run in and I have worn it probably 150 days this winter without washing them. Like, I mean, maybe washing them like four times. <laughs> um, so I've gotten a lot of use out, the, out of them. So that might point in favor of designer running clothes. Um, we also have recently loved Jonji, which is a great company. Buy Jonji stuff. They do amazing work in this world. Um, but I think I'm going to have to disagree with this hot take just slightly. Don't knock it until you've tried it. But the key is only have like one pair and wear it into the ground. Because a lot of the time this stuff doesn't break down that much and you can wear it like an insane amount. That was going to be my recommendation and have someone send it to you. Yeah. It's the only way that I can like somehow wear this stuff is, is, is having someone send it to us. But also too, I'm really thrilled about your Lululemon collection because I had to have a serious intervention for you. You were wearing a onesie, the same onesie almost yeah. every single day. And I thought I was going to have to magically disappear. Yeah. And it started to get holes, all these different places. In like really awkward places. Yeah, you yeah. would answer the door with like a hole in your onesie in a yeah. weird spot. And I was like, Oh David, I don't know about that. Leo would be in his playset, and I would down to get him and I would essentially be teabagging our child. <laughs> yeah, it's not good. Um, yeah, so 
this is very counter to me too, because like for the longest time, I would my clothes would be so threadbare. In fact, I have a pair of khaki pants right now. You know how like sometimes the jeans get worn down at the knees and stuff? I have a pair of khaki pants that have two holes in the knees from wearing them too much. It's a new style. You know, ripped jeans. We just need ripped khaki stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You should have worn them as a lawyer so, in the courtroom. <laughs> yeah. my I'm not really about this, but I would say try it. Try it. See what happens. I think you might be changed. Or just wear the same $160 pair of sweatpants every single day for the rest of your life. <laughs> yeah, I'm basically planning on that. I love it. Until I'm teabagging like all of our neighbors. <laughs> okay, next up is a really controversial training one. And here it is. Three zone model is greater than five zone model. Oh, shit. <laughs> I actually agree with this. I think I do too, which is controversial. So uh, as background, three zone model means that um, easy, all easy training is lumped together essentially below aerobic threshold. Uh, all moderate training goes up to lactate threshold or critical power, critical velocity. And then zone three is just above that. Whereas the five zone model breaks it down. And I think that the five zone model necessarily doesn't have physiological reasons to be broken into five zones. It's just kind of like a convenient percentage zone model. So I'm going to say the three zone model used in research is what I like. I totally agree. I also, and this shows why, like, I feel like sometimes when you become deeply entrenched in a field, you're just like, what the fuck? Yeah. And we're entrenched. We're deeply entrenched in exercise physiology, but we're not like working in that field. And I'm like, why does this matter? It's yeah. all the same training stimulus. <laughs> it is all the training. Well, I don't know. I think sometimes if you're starting to think you need to be at like a certain point in a five zone model, it can become overwhelming. Exactly. To yeah. understand where exactly the, you know, gradations are. And if you're using the three zone model, it gets so much easier because all you have to essentially know is here's my general place of threshold, like mm -hmm. lactate threshold. Here's my general place of cap of easy running and that's it. Um, so I do like how much it simplifies things though. Maybe it simplifies too much. I, yeah, I agree. I don't know. Let's go to the we'll next see. one. All right, like this one. Not all trails, not all trails require trail shoes. If it's not techie, a comfy road shoe makes things so much more enjoyable. <laughs> yeah. That's an oh shit moment. Do you agree? I agree. Okay. Yeah. Well, for the longest, I mean, okay, road shoes have changed a little bit. I yeah. feel like back in the day, like eight years ago, road shoes were wider. They are basically like trail shoes in many different ways. I feel like now we've gotten this more like narrow speed ver based version of road shoes. They're basically like all road shoes have like tons of great foam. Yeah. I feel like they don't perform as well on trails these days as they used to. I wonder if it's that or I wonder if we're just getting older. Or our ankles just need some more duct tape. In the old days, I used to run in Nike Luna Racers on the most rocky Pennsylvania trails, like the trails that everyone's like, beast coast, watch out, you're soft in Colorado. And I was fine. I never thought twice about it. Yeah. And now I'm like, I wear a pair of road shoes on our backyard, tame little trails. And I'm like, ah, my precious feet. <laughs> I can't do it. Um, so I wonder if the trails have changed. I've gotten old or something else. I think it's a combination of everything. Okay. But yeah, you can, if you like a pair of road shoes and they're nice and wide and have a little bit of traction... Try them on your trails, especially if you're in a place like California. Like in California, a good pair of road shoes that aren't too narrow, you can take on any trail. On In like NorCal trails, if there's a rock on a trail, you're like, what's going on? Yeah. This is technical. Yeah. I mean, for canyons, I definitely could have used a road shoe that I liked. I just don't have any road shoe right now that fits that mold. Um, but they used to exist. The old I, yeah. the old Nike Pegasus used to be amazing on yeah. trails. And now it's too narrow. I would I would absolutely wreck my ankle. Granted, I wreck my ankle on trail shoes too. Yeah, the but. old Nike Pegasus was like a Toyota Camry. It was reliable. <laughs> yeah. You could take it almost anywhere to, for the most part. And the new Nike Pegasus is like one of the new Teslas that like spontaneously combusts. <laughs> like it just blows up when it, you turn on self-driving mode. Okay, uh, next one is actually, this is an interesting one. This is Athletic Greens does taste great. Ooh, oh shit. So, okay, Megan, I have come around to it and I agree. Why? Actually, is it because you're tasting your future of like longevity and health? You, perhaps, but you know how everyone says things change when you become a father? Mm -hmm. 
I think maybe my taste buds have changed and I've gotten more sophisticated. So athleticgreens.com slash swap, SWAP. We have hated on the taste before. I'm coming around. I actually think it's the tastiest drink I'll have during a day. And all I needed was to get my mind right. You would describe it as sophistication? Yeah, it's so sophisticated. It has like layers of flavor. There's one layer that's like sweet. There's one flavor that's umami. There's one flavor that's landfill. (laughs) (laughs) Not landfill. It's more like earth. Um, There's one flavor that's like a little bit like your backyard, but it It's good. It's good in the same way that like using turmeric as a spice is good. Oh, I like that. Well, I feel like Michelin star restaurants definitely have subtle hits of landfill and backyard. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Um, So Athletic Greens, we totally recommend it. We've seen it help adaptation. It has um, certified safe for sport. It has so many good things. Basically, when we ask our professional athletes, what are you doing? When they achieve these breakthroughs, 95% of the time now, they are taking Athletic Greens as their multivitamin. So remember, it is essentially just a multivitamin that you take daily. We totally recommend it. Athleticgreens.com slash swap, where I think you'll also learn it's so tasty. I was going to say, it's a multivitamin that tastes delicious. Yeah. Like subtle undertones of landfill. (laughs) Exactly. Sold that really well. Okay. This one is more for you, but I'll read it. All women's tight shorts should have the grippy stuff along the bottom of the leg hole. Enough with bunching up my hoo-ha. <laughs> Not the vibe I'm going for while on my run. Someone should invent iron-ons. I totally co-sign Okay, I don't get it. What is, what, you don't get it? What do you think? What, what, is, what is your take? Well, I think there's like anatomical gonadal differences here. So okay. that like your situation when you're, when you're talking about teabagging, it prevents your shorts from coming up. Yeah. Whereas I feel like for women, it just starts riding all the way up and there's um, nothing, nothing to prevent that. Why? I mean, I don't understand why it needs to be tight then. Why can't it just be like loose, free, hanging? What is loose and free to hang? The shorts. The shorts. Okay. <laughs> okay. I was like, why are you not answering this? No. That, was, that was a very poor description. <laughs> why can't the shorts be loose and free hanging? I mean, they're talking about spandex shorts. I know, but why do you need? Why does everyone need spandex? Why can't like everyone should wear just chill, loose things that don't bunch up? Okay, I totally agree on that, but that's a different question. Okay, that's yes, a different question. It's a totally different question. But maybe maybe this listener needs fire nice. That's true. Yeah, maybe. Actually, if you have fire and ice, it's gonna, it's, the shorts are going to be all the way up to your shoulders. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, actually, they're going to go inside. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Total insertion. Just gonna, yeah. yeah my, my take in general, though, is that spandex is so overrated. I don't get it. Why? Yeah, I, I go through various points. Sometimes I really like just like a solid pair of like Courtney DeWalter shorts. They're yeah. amazing. Other times it is nice to feel like have spandex and feel like things are like compressed in there. Yeah. Oh, well, that'll lead to, I'm going to skip ahead to a different, a distant one. Women deserve longer running short options complete with pockets. I saw that Solomon just came out with a shortney. Wait, is it actually called a shortney? I think so. It's the Courtney that's DeWalter shorts. Genius. I'm I, order them. I want them. Yeah, I'm going to order them right now. Well, actually, I just take your shorts is how this yeah. works. I wear your clothes. Like those Lulu $160 sweatpants that were yours, they're now mine. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've stolen many of your pairs of clothes too. And the, what I should have learned is that the reason I was stealing your clothes is because they were actually good, not hand-me-downs from my <laughs> father from 45 years ago. Those 1980s cotton like shirts and stuff. Not necessarily good for trading. Well, we go back and forth. I love sleeping in those. Yeah. They're great nightgowns. They're <laughs> great nightgowns. Great for all the various discharges that come out <laughs> after you've been breastfeeding. Okay, uh, next hot take. This is actually a really important one. When someone drops from a race, keep your unsolicited pity to yourself. 42 miles into my race, I dropped. I had met my goals to get a long run in, test fueling strategies for an upcoming longer race, and see some new trail beauty. It was heating up, I was getting dizzy and nauseous, and I didn't feel like doing battle for another 20 miles. And since I'm a grown-up, I didn't want to always have to clean my plate. 
I do what I want. But people are so dramatic. Another runner at the aid station tried to convince me to keep going, and when I gladly refused, she cried for me and told me she was crying for me. Oh my gosh. Other people on Facebook and Instagram told me that they were here for me, that they know that this is a difficult time for me, and that I may one day be able to heal. Okay, I totally agree with that. Yeah. Fuck that. Yeah. If someone told me they were crying for me and it was like a situation like this, I'd be like, please save the tears. This is going to change the way I communicate a little bit, though, because I feel I like agree. sometimes yeah. I mm-hmm. feel the need to say sorry to people that don't have the day that they were dreaming of. Mm-hmm. Oh, screw that. And just say always congrats because we're all about celebrating yourself no mm-hmm. matter what and ce- celebrating DNFs. But at the same time, this makes me think, okay, we need to actively realize that there's literally no reason to cross the finish line unless that's something that intrinsically brings you meaning. Extrinsically, there's no, it doesn't matter even one little bit. Well, I think it depends on the situation because there are yeah. for athletes, like for me, I have DNF'd and if you came and you're like, yeah, girl, you're <laughs> the best. We got this. I'd be like, yeah, I don't know, buddy. Yeah, That's yeah, not the yeah, right yeah. tone. So I think it really depends on the context. Okay. I like it. So basically let's not put our value systems on other athletes or people in the world. Well, I think it's all in our own intrinsic value systems. And I think as a coach, as a supporter, we have to understand and like ask questions yeah. before diving into immediate responses. Okay. And for the future of the hot segment this that is the format that i think is you can do a one-liner those are great but that format where there's some righteous anger i love it that's so good oh and we'll, it's the deep deep stuff we'll have some fun with reading it too okay this next one is also really important when you see a visibly older runner on the trail or really anywhere do not announce loudly and then this is in all caps when am i am that old i hope i can run or how old do you think she is wow Oh, shoot. I agree. Yeah, I totally agree. Also, because recently, people have been thinking we're old. Yeah, it's happened so many times recently that like we've been in a conversation and people would will imply that we're like, at least a decade older than we are. And I'm confused because you look like you're 18. And I I don't know about that. I don't know. Am I looking really old? You did not need that. I don't think either of us look that old. I don't know. Yeah, but I'm starting to question myself. Yeah, I've noticed like, I have my nose hairs are so long now. Well, I don't think they're looking up your nose. I don't know, but they can see them from just any vantage point. I mean, I'm looking at you right now. I can't see any nose hairs. I, I, I mean, I see hairs other places that yeah. yeah, maybe are indicative of other things, but not nose hairs. I combed them this morning. You combed your nose hairs? I do. I pushed them back in. <laughs> I, I won't. I won't. Like, it's convenient. It's like instead of picking my nose, I can just like plunger them back up. In the- <laughs> uh, but that's actually a good point. I think, you know, don't comment on people's age and- And never assume age either. Yeah. yeah. And, and just because someone- is old doesn't mean that that's what's inspirational about them. You know, like achieving oldness is not inspiration. I think what's inspirational about anyone is getting out there day after day through the ups and downs. So um, it's, um, this is going to change how I talk a little bit too. Like, you know, I think often all, I, I tell a lot of people they're inspirational because they are. And like, that's what I think of when things are hard. But I think I am more prone to say it to like a 75 year old listener mm-hmm. than a 25 year old listener. Yeah. And I'm going to be more of an equal opportunity inspiration man. Well, it also changes how I talk to myself too, because like, yeah. I mean, I, I notice I have more wrinkles. I have like the occasional gray hair that I'm like, holy shit, it's, yeah. it's coming. And I think whenever I do that, I like try to push back against it and or make jokes about it. But yeah. I, like, I think sometimes deep down it does hurt. And yeah. just to be like, these are experiences. Like Definitely. I'm getting these wrinkles because I've lived a lot of cool life at this point. Yeah, you don't, I mean, you look so beautiful. Like, I mean, maybe that, maybe what I'm seeing actually is I interpret those things that you're mentioning, whether those are wrinkles or anything else as like just you 
like aging beautifully um, and incredibly, and, and, and everyone can do that. Um, but I just don't know what people are saying when they see us and think that we're so much older than we are. Yeah, maybe it's because we got some, I don't know. Yeah. yeah. Maybe it's like, you know how like you look at a picture of Barack Obama at the start of his term and the end of his term and you're like, oh my goodness. Maybe that's what baby Leo's done. To us. <laughs> it's not looking good. Okay, next one. If I'm wearing headphones, I'm treating all my farts as silence. Oh, I love this. But I think, why why do you need to wear headphones to do that? <laughs> Just let it rip. The new SWAT podcast, uh, you know, term is all farts are silent. <laughs> yeah, it's right. Like, just like a, that own your farting. Like it is so good. Or it's at least an excuse to make a rap. Oh, yeah. Yeah, right? Like, <laughs> like that. That's, those are, Leo has been practicing mouth farts these days. Leo and I do me. a lot of communication on mar- yeah. mouth farts. You lost me a little bit, but you mean like fart beatboxing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, if you do that in public, it's a great excuse just to be like, just to keep it going. Yeah. You, so, go, from, you go from one orifice to another. You, you, start, you start down there, you end up here. I like it. Fart beatboxing, but you need to be careful about when the bass comes in. It's oh, like, yeah. Like, oh, shit. <laughs> Too much. Um, okay, this next one is great. Think a little in the shower before acting on a great idea while you have that you have while running. One time I was running toward a beautiful sunrise, thinking about the brevity of life, and had the idea to write to all of my exes and tell them how much I loved the season of my life with them. And my only regret is my reluctance, reluctance to fully let them go when it was time. Um, I like the th- that thought that I had, and I'm glad that I sobered up, though, before sending the big old text message massacre. Okay, I co-signed this. Okay. And what, what I think Do you? Yeah. So I actually don't agree. You don't agree. No. You're going to send, okay, this scares me as a wife. You're going to like send like really kind messages to all your, to all your ex-girlfriends and they're going to be like, let's bang. Imaginary people don't have cell phones. (laughs) (laughs) But no, my, my thinking with that is that the version of you that you have out on a run or something like that, where Mm -hmm. you're fully living this embodied experience should be the version of you that you try to bring into the world more. Well, I try to make all of my life decisions while on a run because that's the version of the person that I like my the best. And that's yeah. when I'm my happiest. Yeah. So what I would say, but I would not do this. Not this particular thing, Yes, yeah. but other things, other big feelings, ideas, thoughts you have, go for it. Um, don't let the version of you that's like sleepy and kind of tired dictate your life. Let the version of you that is fucking going on endorphins make your decisions for you. Yes. But I think wait 24 hours. Okay. Like think about it, make the decision well, and then give yourself 24 hours once you're off the endorphins and be like, do I still co-sign this? You know what solves this problem? What? Block your ex's numbers just in general. Oh, like, yeah. That's great. Yeah. You shouldn't be texting your exes most likely. Well, that's what I agree. Actually, I think being friends with your exes is just complicated. It's complicated. You can be. Yes, but yeah. like you shouldn't have the text. Like it, it, there's no need. Right. Yeah. It's the same reason like you shouldn't be looking at their Instagram stories. Like if you're going to be friends, be in-person friends in a totally normal like pre-2000 manner. <laughs> Don't be friends the DM because that's probably not going to go good places for anybody's health. I totally agree. Okay, that was that, I like how things is fun. This is fun. I, I like, like this. It. Okay, here's the next one. Running in the morning is terrible. Afternoons are where it's at. I have zero idea how all of y'all are able to wake up early and run when you have a perfectly good bed to sleep in until the very last moment before you need to start the day. <laughs> Running in the morning is heinous. Alex Honnold probably said that too. Okay. Well, this person has never been like the glory of being so tired at 7.30 PM and getting into bed and being like, I'm going to sleep so hard is the best thing ever. Yeah. So I feel like you just have to flip it to the evening. Yeah. But you know, what's fascinating is some studies have come out recently that found that morning people and afternoon people or evening mm-hmm. people is a physiological thing. Oh, yeah, it's a genetic thing. Yeah. And it's what's wild is we talk about all these exercise physiology studies, and we never talk about the time of day of the intervention. So most likely, a lot of these interventions are at 3 p.m. or whatever. Mm-hmm. Some of them are probably at 9 a.m. Um, and that will change based on the cohort of person 
that you're getting physiologically. So if you're testing a morning person in the afternoon, you're probably going to be seeing drivers that are not necessarily the dependent or independent variables that you're trying to test. So for this person, you're almost certainly an afternoon person and stick with it. Um, for others, be a little bit flexible because I think morning running's better. <laughs> well, I mean, I think you can be an afternoon person and flex your physiology to run in the morning because yeah. I feel like sometimes that's the best way to like be consistent on training runs. I agree. Yeah. So in other words, we're two morning people saying you should be a morning person, you and, bitch. And thank God Leo is a morning person. Yeah, he really is. But I, I wonder how much of that is genetic and how much of it is like a learned epigenetic trait. That we're like beatboxing around the house. We're, we're noisily farting around the house at 5 a.m. Exactly. So I don't know. It's interesting to think about. Okay, next one is totally wrong. Uh, the UTMB gear requirements are actually appropriate most of the time. I mean, they're appropriate from a lawyer standpoint. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, even then, you're you're gonna get if you're gonna get sued, you're gonna get sued. That's true. Well, and, I mean, I do think what we're I mean, I, it's not lost on me that what we're asking people to do out in the wild yeah. is. I mean, I had that moment at, at Canyons when your tracker wasn't working and I'm like, is he sitting on the side of a trail somewhere without service? Yeah. And you throw in like a foreign country and like, you know, harsh conditions and lack of aid stations in some of these races. And yeah. it kind of makes sense. So why would I have needed a coat with a hood when it was a 92 degree high? What if it hails? What if it hails? Yeah. <laughs> what if it... I mean, if, you ran really fast. You could have been out there for... What was the cutoff of the race? The only thing I ever could have used that for, Megan, is wiping my ass. <laughs> like, literally, there was no... So, UTMB gear requirements, for those that don't know, are very onerous. And sometimes, it's what, like, is discouraging me from doing some races because I'm like... I don't want to have to carry Leo in a backpack, essentially. I mean, it's like a charcuterie board. It's insane. Yeah. I mean, some of the stuff, like utensils, like when you're in survival, just use your hands. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I feel like a lot of the times the required gear, if shit really gets real, ain't going to do much. Um, so I feel like we either should go to very limited required gear or someone essentially needs to have like everything on themselves at any given time. You need to be <laughs> bare grills out there, ready to defend themselves in the wild. You need a compass. Yeah. You at least need a machete. It's <laughs> like, if shit gets real and the zombies attack, what are you going to do? Like, you need the machete. Well, the machete is for opening gel packets that are hard to open. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Okay, uh, now we're going to get to a question to end the podcast before Listener Corner. Um, I like this one because it's a lot about something I think a lot of us think about but don't talk about. Uh, don't feel you have to read this whole thing. I know you're a busy guy. So I was feeling pretty good about yesterday, a race where this athlete crushed, and then this morning saw my race photos and immediately everything shifted. The body I saw didn't match up with the fast person I'd felt like during the run. All I could see were the thick thighs and calves, which I'd never been able to make look like those of lean, quote, fast runners. Last night I ate a burger, celebrating a personal best and how I'm faster and stronger than I've ever been. Then, this morning, the dark thoughts about food and weight crept in because of some stupid photos. I thought about all the times I've listened to you and Megan talk about fueling training and life properly, how food is fun, and how we should be feeding the fire. Side note, you have no idea how much I appreciate all the work you both do around this and the candid conversations you have. On my run this morning, I cried, not because of the race sh shots, but because I've spent years, decades really, hating a body, which allows me to do one of the things I love most, running. How can I hate something which at the same time gives me so much joy and has brought me so many wonderful things into my life, including close friends? By the time I got home, my mind was in a different space. I don't expect the dark thoughts to never return. Maybe this isn't something that ever goes away, not really. But I know I'm stronger now than I ever have been, and I have a lot more running to do. Sometimes, which is only possible by giving my body what it needs, and maybe, just maybe, that means giving it some love along with those celebratory burgers. I'm giving this listener the biggest hug yeah. and the biggest like burger high five too. But I think, I mean, I think 
almost every single runner I've coached yeah. has had a moment like this. Like I think it's almost fully ubiquitous in in trail running and yeah. racing. My big hot take is race photos are the worst. I agree. Yeah. Even with incredible race photographers, there's something about them that can change the subsequent experience mm -hmm. where the experience, instead of being summarized by what's in your head, the memories you make, all of that, you actually, when you think back to the race, you think of a photo taken of you or a picture or a video or something of taking of you, which by the, the reality of all of this stuff is probably going to be different and likely more negative than your actual experience mm -hmm. and certainly more negative than anyone else experiences you. Well, do you know how I fight back against this? How? And I tell athletes to do this, do something absolutely bonkers ridiculous when you're running, <laughs> by, running by a camera because it's like, it takes the focus away from your body or yeah. from like, you know, the visual experience of what's happening. And I challenge people to do that with a lot of joy and the race photos I've gotten from some athletes yeah. are great. Yeah. Just take a shit right there. <laughs> yeah, That's right. the only thing appropriate in my eyes. Yeah. I mean, I, like it's so, I odd. mean, race photographers are amazing. Like, oh, I yeah, think, for sure. yeah. And I think it's this delicate balance, but I also think too, when you look at photos of yourself, I have seen like the distortion of an image is wild. Well, especially in our own brains. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Like, we yeah. never see the But I mean, version. it's objective too. Yeah. Like even outside of our own brains, like you can take one picture in one moment and one picture in another moment and they can look totally different. Yeah. yeah. This, happens, this is with appearance in general. Like there's an offset between like what we imagine fast is mm -hmm. and what fast is for an individual. Right. Um, and I think that that's hard for some people to realize because they're like, oh, but wait, that Olympian looks like this. And in general, Olympians look like this. So shouldn't I? And it's like, no, because you're different genetic context mm -hmm. and your version of that, it, their version of strong is different than your version of strong and your version of strong is fucking awesome. So they're judging themselves on a framework that doesn't make any sense. It's like we've talked about in the past. Cellulite is fast. Cellulite rocks. Mm -hmm. Cellulite is health. That shit is needed. Um, so if that's what you're judging, you're seeing something that's distorted. Um, but then you can also think in normal life in a way that is really clear too. It's like, well, if you see a swimsuit model and think that that's what is sexy at a beach, of course you're not going to like your beach photos. Mm -hmm. But the point is that's not what's sexy. Like maybe for that person, great. But like that's not what I want. I want your perfect body. You know what I mean? Um, and that learning to love yourself thus becomes the key because like all you have is you. Yeah. And I think value those like photographs for what they are. But I think yeah. you can almost like – it's kind of like telling the story is like, I think those, those photographs can be a part of, part of the story, but I think being ridiculous and like being celebratory in the nature of being photographed helps a ton. Yeah. And um, I'm going to, I'm not going to read my, uh, come back there that I told this person because you call it come back. <laughs> yeah. Well, come back because I, I went over the top with it and I think our discussion is probably better, but, um, you know, for anyone out there going through these doubts about your body, let's take a moment and just like recenter on like, okay, I love me, you yeah. know, mm -hmm. and I have to do this all the time too. Like, it's not just people that might have had long-term body issues or whatever. It's like, I think everybody feels this on a certain point. Well, and that's why we have to extend compassion to people because yeah. like, if we all feel this way, like shit, that's hard. It's so hard. Yeah. It's so, so hard, especially, yeah. I mean, especially in situations in which like races are already heightened emotions yeah. and then you have this extra layer of like image on it too. Yeah. And so from a perf performance physiology perspective too, your self-judgment is most likely the type of thing that can get in the way of your growth. Mm -hmm. So what I loved about this listener is that they talked about, you know, confronting those thoughts led them to understanding that their body and embracing this part of themselves is why they have become a champion. They won this race that they're talking about. Mm, that's they so set cool. a huge lifetime personal best. Um, and, you know, the, the winners are having these thoughts. The people that finished last or DNF are having these thoughts. We're all having them. So, you know, again, running, competing, all of these places should be a place where we can learn to celebrate 
not just ourselves, but everyone else too. Um, so like everybody is beautiful. Everybody is amazing. Whether it's a smaller body, a bigger body, you know, big boobs, small boobs, whatever. Like all of that stuff is great. Um, but it's a conscious process where you have to like learn that the deconditioning of whatever society tells us, whatever running magazines tell us, is intentional and takes some time. And I've had to like purposely reframe that for myself. Like I've had yeah. running photos where there's like tons of cellulite in places. Yeah. And I'm like, no, Megan, that is strength. That is my long-term future. That's baby Leo. Yeah. That's a lot of different things like balled up into one big ball of cellulite. <laughs> and it's, I mean, I feel like that, contextualization it's hard but it's been helpful for me over time i think you say balled up into one bolus <laughs> yeah, one bolus of cellulite <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly okay listener corner time hi david and megan firstly huge congratulations on your epic month last month megan with her phd and david with his 100k you're both so inspiring and i hope you have a great summer of fun and adventure ahead secondly i wanted to share an update that i ran my first marathon yesterday oh heck and yes. at least to my own standards crushed it i took your advice and started fueling my long runs and it made a world of difference I feel like a 50K is totally within reach, and I plan to focus next on incorporating strength training for injury prevention. It was around the time I started listening to your podcast that I decided I would try the marathon distance, inspired by your spirit of fun, adventure, why not, heck yes, and go for it. <laughs> my horizon is expanded, and I have you to thank for it. Next up, I need to take David's advice and quit my job. <laughs> Once again, thank you both for all you do. You're both bright, shining lights. Well, we should have in the hot take session, you should quit your job. Yeah. Yeah. We should talk about how, why exactly I think, I, I next week, I'm going to talk more about why everybody should quit their job. Oh, man. It's going to be awesome. Yeah. I'm already having nervous anxiety over here about it's gonna that. It's going to be so good. Well, I'll be the counterpoint on that. Okay, great. Yes, yeah. But to this listener, amazing. Um, and to everyone, let's go try something new and big and scary. And oh, I'm so excited. Anything. Yeah. Um, oh, and if you're listening at this point, please uh, click five stars wherever you listen. Um, click follow on Apple Podcasts, even if you don't listen there. That really helps us out in the big algorithm game. Um, tell your friends about it. Like the podcast has been taken off. It means so much when you support us in any way. Thank you all. It means the world. It's also fun to think about where we've traveled with people. We've had yeah. a lot of people say they've listened to it in, while racing. Yeah. And it's an honor. We've probably been in some cool races, David. We've been in such cool races. People like at the end of multi-days say the only thing that gets me through, like they're not hearing anything we say, just the vibes. They're probably hallucinating to us. Yeah. I think basically we're like- What would you, what would you hallucinate? Oh. Bol think... Boluses of cheeseburgers. <laughs> <laughs> There'd definitely be lubrication involved and it would probably be a little bit freaky. Um, it'd probably make me want to run faster. I like it. But I was thinking that we're kind of a vibes-based podcast at this point. Like we have people that don't like running listening, which is the ultimate compliment, I think, because even if you don't love running, hopefully you get some good vibes and can feel how much like we genuinely love and care about you all. So thank you. Well, vibes space is helpful for me as we record because it's like, it doesn't matter what we say. Yeah. As long as it brings some good vibes, yeah. we're okay. This doesn't need to be worse. They can be... <laughs> they can be... Yeah, and just don't do the... <laughs> we love you all. Woohoo! Huzzah!